Over the past two weeks, I've had two separate conversations with people from very different backgrounds. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, we read, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That's Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 from the English Standard Bible. We take the title for this week's episode from this passage. I'm always interested in finding out the contents of the mind of each new individual I meet. Every mind is a universe, and spirituality, as we learned in past episodes, is connected with the mind, connected with thinking. Keep this in mind as we meet the second set of new acquaintances in part two of Come, Let Us Reason Together. So, questions, comments, concerns? Any topics you'd like us to focus on this morning? When I meet somebody new, I quite often ask them three questions. The first question is, does God exist? And you would say, yes. You can answer the questions in one word or a sentence or a paragraph or whatever. So then question number two is, what does God expect from you? Obedience and devotion. Okay. Our lives. You agree? Yeah. Or or what would you say? Would that be the first thing you would say? Or (laughs) the first word out of your mouth, would that be obedience? Uh, I I would say obedience to our understanding. Obedience to our understanding. So you would add that qualifier. So what's the reason for the qualifier? Um, well, I think, um, I think striving to, for what we know, I mean, I think if we don't understand what obedience is, then it's kind of hard to be obedient. True, 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 um, true. So or, I guess that's or what why, to be obedient to, right. perhaps. So I'm saying to our understanding, which hopefully would grow as our faith grows. So, And that actually kind of leads to question number three. There are a variety of religious practices in the world. Does this please God? Meaning a variety like um, like Jehovah's Witness and like Buddhist, like that, or a like variety of serving, like or? Christianity, like okay, like a Methodist, a Baptist, a both. Presbyterian. Both. You've got Christians, you've got Jews, you've got Muslims. Like the division of all got, the religions. Yeah, a division of all the religions. And there are some religions who don't even say they're worshiping this particular God, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say the Christians and the Jews and the Muslims all claim they worship 
the same God, the God of Abraham. And then, of course, right, amongst Christians, then, there's a division. There's Baptists, there's Catholics, there's Methodists, there's Episcopalians. So, however you take it, all this division there is, does this please God? Probably say no. I mean, my initial answer is no, and I'm trying to say, like, okay, I know the follow-up question is going to be why. <laughs> Not necessarily, but why? <laughs> I wasn't actually going to ask that follow-up question. So you would say no, and you didn't want to say no because you didn't want to have to back it up, but you were like, no, so what do you think? Well, I think why, do, why do you think it doesn't it, please It creates God. division between believers. I mean, it's we understand as one when everyone's fighting over their small... Right. Uh, differences from that. Uh, right. So you're both inclined to say that God isn't pleased by it. So all these groups that are saying they exist to please God, why is there such division then? We already did the within three the, questions. Within, We're just now having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Within the Christian realm, um, I guess, and I know like some people like Travis Witness consider themselves Christians. Yeah, um, yeah. But within, I guess, the realm of like, okay, like we were talking about earlier, Presbyterian, Methodist, yeah. Baptist, um, it, I guess along the lines of that, um, I don't, I don't know how to word it. <laughs> um, I think that in scripture that there are some gray areas where what the word of God tells us to do is not just black and white. Such as, okay, maybe, um, you know, do not commit adultery or do not murder. Okay, those are, you know, very Pretty obvious. Like, I think we all know what murder is. And, and adultery, of course, you could kind of, people would be like, oh, well, you know, an actual act within in your mind. But, you know, we'll just stick to murder. Right, murder is a good example. Right, right, I, think, right. I think everyone would agree what murder was. Um and I think that in scripture that your heart that yeah. I mean there's that too. Yeah. Um, but but physical murder, I think that we all could say, okay, you know, ending someone's life. So I think that scripture has um, very clear uh, murder is a murder is a clear one. Right. right. Do not right. steal is another one, I right? You shouldn't be stealing clear, from your brother. Um, commands from God. But then I think that there are other things of how to worship, um, various things within uh, Scripture that, you know, it may not be uh, so black and white clear, but more of a gray area. And so different denominations um, can kind of take that and what they believe is best. Um, and it, I think that's kind of where things might vary. And they're teaching and... Yeah. There is some element of your worship. I'll give you an example of something that the Bible does not specify. It doesn't specify what time of day. It specifies the first day of the week, although Jeremy's not 100% on board with that. But it doesn't specify the time that your worship should begin. So Church A might say, well, 10 o'clock is a good time. And Church B might say, 11 o'clock is a good time. That shouldn't be a different teaching because it's like, well, the Bible doesn't say what time, so we can choose to worship at 10 or worship at 11. What's the one thing that would be necessary, though, about the time that you worship? This 
very poorly worded question. <laughs> Jeremy might know where I'm going, but if you're going to make a decision in your local church, like let's say the church was just the four of us, we were the church, mm -hmm. and we're going to decide, well, should we get together at 10 or 11? We used to get together at 3.30, and this is the first time at 11 o'clock, <laughs> which is a much better time. I'm, I'm liking this much better already. So what would be necessary for us to do in order to decide on a particular time? Is that, is that a good way to put it? Knowing the Bible says nothing at all about the time, then what does the Bible say we should do about making decisions about things as a local church? What does it say believers should do? Go ahead, give him a hand, Jeremy. <laughs> no, you, 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 I mean, I, mean I, I mean, the only thing together in our lives that we know is true is the Word of God. Right, okay. And so the Word of God... Um, coming before him in prayer. And so what does the Word of God say we should be when it comes to what our practices are as a church? What should we be? United. Mm -hmm. One mind and judgment. That's it. That's a rough paraphrase of a portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. So let's say, though, we're having a discussion. What time should we get together and worship and the three of you want to worship at 11 and I want to worship at 3.30 so I say well I'm the leader we're going to worship at 3.30 is that the right way to handle it? no no exactly so what should we do we should be well like Jeremy was saying we should be united in the same mind and the same judgment so the mind is the thinking involved and the thinking involved is, like you were saying, we should follow the Word of God in everything that we do. Okay, so let's look at the Word of God and see what it says about what time we worship. Oh, there's nothing in there. Okay, so then what do we have to do then? We have to be united in the same judgment. So now we're deciding what time we're going to worship. Now what does it say about us if we can't come together about what time we should come together? Well, the same mind. Yeah, because what does it say about God? Even in the Old Testament, what does it say about God? Like in Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, God is one. So if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, what did Jesus say the relationship was between him and the Father? He says in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. one, exactly. Father, Son, Spirit are one. So if we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're also going to strive for unity. We're going to strive for oneness. So if we're all four of us trying to decide what time we're going to worship, even if I'm like, oh, I'm not so crazy about 11, the three of you want to do it, it would be best maybe if I wasn't the stick in the mud saying, well, you know, 3.30 is a better time. I like to sleep late. Come on, I got up early every other day of the week. Why can't I sleep late on Sunday? And it becomes a big, <laughs> a big division. What would be the right thing for me to do? The right thing for me to do would be to say, okay, we'll make it 11. But then, let's say something doesn't go well, like it's a horrible stormy day or something like that. I'm like, oh, I'm getting here. It's such a horrible thing. Well, you guys wanted to do it. I never wanted to do it. Is that unity? It's like when a husband and a wife decide about something and they each had a different position, but once they come together and decide, then it becomes their decision. The one can't say to the other, yeah, well, I really wanted to do this other thing, so it's your fault it didn't work out. No, once you decide something, it becomes your decision as a group 
And so you're together on it. The church should be the same way. So once we decide, okay, we're going to get together and worship at 11, you know, we're all fully 100% invested in our decision as a church. So we should not be encouraging divisions. Make sense? Mm -hmm. We find ourselves in a situation where that is not so clear because there's all sorts of divisions in all sorts of churches. One church teaches one thing and another church teaches something different. So what can we do? Me here in New York, I have no control over what the people in Birmingham decide to do in their worship. Mm -hmm. But what do I have control over? What you do? Yeah, I have control over what I do. We have control over what we do. So Understanding that we have control over what we do, what would be helpful to unity concerning our practices in our church? Sticking to the Bible as much as you can. Right. And be very, very clear about our teaching. Like, this is what the Bible tells us to do, so this is why we're doing what we do. And maybe keep, as little as possible, all the other extra things that we do. Like if we say, oh, maybe we'll have bingo on Thursday nights or something like that. I don't see any harm in having bingo. Maybe you don't see any harm in it, but does the Bible say anything about having bingo on Thursday nights? So maybe we shouldn't adopt that practice. Does that make sense? You read Second Bingo. Second Bingo. <laughs> it's one of those really small books. It's only, <laughs> it's only two sentences. Yeah, Bingo's okay. Look at the Catholics. That's what it's <laughs> Let's say we do something, we adopt something well that, that we're, we're well-meaning. And it might even be a good idea. Let's all wear purple shirts. That way people will know who we are. And we all know there's nothing in the Bible about purple shirts. So we all know amongst ourselves that well, this is just a choice that we made and we're very clear that that's not binding on anybody. But if we're not clear to teach that to our children and our children's children and our children after that and it becomes the church of the purple shirts <laughs> and then somebody wants to wear a green shirt and they reject that person. No, no, it has to be a purple shirt because that's what my father did, and his father before him, and his father before him. You see what the purple shirts, totally harmless idea, doesn't violate any instruction from God. But do you see what the purple shirts became? Now it became a codified practice that causes division, because people say, why aren't you wearing purple shirts? That's what happened in Mark chapter 7, when they came to Jesus, and they said, do you want to read that? Since we should do some reading of the Bible, since this is our Sunday worship. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. That's good. You don't do the Moses thing yet. So what do you guys think of that? What do you guys think of that passage there? Um, that they think what they're doing is honoring to God, but they're not really. And why do they think they're honoring God? They're doing what their forefathers did. Yeah. Their elders did. Right. The key phrase, yeah. Must, you know, be what God wanted. Or at least, you know, pleasing to God. Yeah. On the one hand, the tradition of the elders ought to be what God told them. We all agree that we should be following God's word in what we're doing, right? And Jesus draws a distinction here between God's word and the traditions that come from men. Now, washing of hands. First of all, is that such a horrible thing to do? No. It's probably a good idea, particularly if you're getting together and having communal worship. The washing of hands might have been a good suggestion at one time, but now it's become a tradition, and they do this ceremonially, washing of hands and cups and pots and etc., etc., washing things. But then on the other hand, Jesus reacts very negatively to somebody saying, so why aren't your disciples washing their hands like we do? What might somebody say today if, if somebody brought that up in a church? You know, the church I came from, we used to wash our hands. <laughs> why aren't you guys washing your hands? What, what might somebody say if you brought that up at a meeting or something, or you were just having lunch at McDonald's with a bunch of people from church after worship, and you're saying, you know, there's a thing we used to do different at the church that I came from. What might they say to you? I'd say, where in the Bible is that? Oh, what would be the first thing they would say? They might say, who cares? Washing hands, it's, a, yeah, such, it's such a minor thing. Who cares if we wash our hands or don't wash our hands? Why are you being such a nitpicker by bringing this up? Does Jesus have that reaction? No. Jesus has a, actually a very strong reaction to the question because of the import of the question. What's the definition of a hypocrite? What does that word mean? Because in verse number 6 he says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. What does hypocrite mean? You profess one thing, but then you practice another. Right. You're a bit of a faker. You're a bit of a phony. It's the same word that, you know, the, the same root is for actors. Because it's what, what actors do, right? You know, I'm playing a part. I'm the, the, the king of England. Well, am I really the king of England? No, I'm pretending to be the king of England. <laughs> we're pretending to be. We say we're doing what pleases God, but we're doing this thing that... Uh, so, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So what does that mean? In vain do they worship me. Their worship is useless. Yeah. And what does it say in Malachi? You, you guys might as just might as well just close the doors of the temple. Don't even come to worship because your worship is useless. In vain do they worship me. And why is their worship useless? Because they're teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And do we see that in churches today? There are a lot of churches that have all sorts of things that aren't in the Bible. They'll quote some verse 
and say, well, we do this because such and such a verse says such and such. And then you read it and you go, but that verse doesn't really say do this. How does that relate? And that's only because they're doing something that really isn't what the Bible tells them to do. But we're supposed to be doing what the Bible says. So we'll, we'll quote a verse. So what you have to do when you're looking at the practices in your own church and you have these questions, keep it to yourself. No. Make arguments? Are you supposed to like maybe stir the pot a little bit? Kind of like say, you know something, we don't know, you know, kind of like. There's a way to handle these things because what does Ephesians chapter 4 say? Jeremy knows, you guys might not, but, we'll let, but let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 while we're just talking about what we should do, what our attitude should be about this. Because this is an important point. Uh, and you guys want to read Ephesians 4 verses... 1 through 7, because it's a nice reading. Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, who wants to read? You can go ahead. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Unity in the body of Christ. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Thanks. Going back to the beginning of it, though, it says, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's an interesting way he puts it, the unity of the Spirit. We can all be agreed to do something, and it might not be in agreement with the Holy Spirit. And how do we know it's not in agreement with the Holy Spirit? How would we know? Answer's obvious. Yeah, look at our phones, right? Look at the Bible, right? We used to be holding Bibles in our hands, so we do. We could hold the Bible up and say, yeah, that's right, look at the Bible. But now we all have phones. Through God's Word, that's how we know whether we're keeping the unity of the Spirit. Because we could all be agreed to do something. We could decide, you know, Sunday's not such a good day for worship. We'll worship on Tuesday. We wouldn't be in agreement with the Spirit the Lord's Supper is a pain in the neck. Somebody's got to bring grape juice and some kind of bread substance. Let's, let's just forget about that. It's too much trouble. Would that be in keeping with the Holy Spirit? No. So we're supposed to keep the unity of the Spirit. See, that's the logic of it. If somebody says to you, why are you reading the Bible all the time? I never read the Bible. I've never read the Bible. I know what's right. Everyone has it. Internal moral. What was it that the the girl said on Wednesday night? Everybody knows what's right and wrong in their heart. I mean, is that true? It's kind of like the majority of the people think. Be true to yourself. Well, what if you know? You're a mass murderer. What if you're a mass murderer? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Yeah, in fact, I don't think it's okay. I think it's the thing to do right now. What I need to do is get my AR-15 and start shooting children. That guy thought it was the thing to do at that moment. Is it because we all have internal gyroscopes because we wouldn't think of that and he doesn't? Or is the basic principle that people can be wrong? In fact, we're wrong more often than we're right, so we need to have some external source of what's right. 
meaning the word of God. Keeping the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's not just unity. It's not that the four of us are all together, but we're all together and in agreement with what the Bible teaches us. In the bond of peace, so if we're in a local church and we realize, hmm, we've got this practice, I'm not sure if that's right, are we going to, like, make trouble? Are <laughs> we going to try it as peaceably as we can? Talk about it, compare it to what the Word of God says, and figure out whether or not the thought that popped into my head, oh, I'm not certain that's right. Well, maybe I could be wrong. So, you know, that's a perfectly good reason why we do that. But it has to be done in a peaceable way. Now, if we all understand this instruction to be peaceable, and one person says, I'm not sure this is right, are we all going to pile on that person and say, well, he's not one of us, let's, let's beat him up until he shuts up. No. Questions, comments, concerns, thoughts? Oh, I agree. That's good. Is there something else you guys want to be talking about, or is this, yeah. is, this, yeah. is this good? Yeah. This is really, I'm actually kind of surprised there's this few people. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm there's surprised there's not more people involved in discussions like this around, like, as many people. Oh, I agree. We've had more people, but it goes up and down. These are the kind of discussions that we should be having yeah. because we all, each of us, read our Bibles as often as we can, I'm certain, right? And we think what we think, but how do I know what you're thinking? Mm -hmm. You may read it and come up with this wonderful insight unless sure, we yeah. share. Because I might say something and you might say, you know, that isn't exactly right. Look at it this way. It would be helpful if you understood this. And if we're all helping each other, you know, we're doing two things. We're all lifting each other's understanding, and we're also getting closer to unity, you know, because there may be some way I view the verse differently for no good reason that's different than the way you view it. And if we talk together, then I'm going to say, oh, yeah, that's right. You're right about that. I was thinking the way I was thinking for no good reason. Now we're getting closer. That's helpful to unity if we share what we're thinking. It doesn't help unity if we just keep it to ourselves. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what about baptism? <laughs> when were you baptized? I was baptized, well, uh, I guess Part of my story is the first time I was baptized was in fifth grade, not okay. understanding what that meant. Right, a um, lot of people have that, right? And she got super angry at me because I didn't go see her get baptized. <laughs> Why didn't you go? No. Mm -hmm. I don't um, <laughs> and then uh, when, when I truly understood what Christ did for me, um, and wanting to confess that to the world and publicly um, was when I was going, I just finished my senior year of high school and then right before I went off to college. And so then you got baptized. Mm -hmm. For real, because you realized your first one, you didn't know. Yeah, yeah I think it was just, so I mean, it was definitely more of like a, um, oh, this would be a good thing. Like, I know my parents are Christians and, you know, that they would be proud right. of me and happy and... Right. Kind of like that, and then, uh, and then truly realizing, um, you know, what baptism is, and um, was when I right before I went off to college. Uh huh. Okay. Did you decide that yourself, or were you like 
Did you no, just I very much it? wanted that. You very much wanted that? That's yes. good. That's great. You got baptized three times then? <laughs> Ninth grade, you got baptized. No? Yeah, you did. No, I did. Second Baptist. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember that at all. Pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I... Because I was... Three I was times? 12th grade. Third and you got back at the same time. <laughs> third time, third time's a charm. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, I don't remember that at all. I remember, I just remember right before it was, uh, f- uh fifth grade and right after senior year, right yeah. for college. Okay. Maybe you blotted it out. Maybe you did. I don't have any recollection of that. So when you were back, yeah. November twenty six, two thousand six, was when I was saved. And then a couple of months after that's when I was baptized, and you were baptized at the same time then. So 2007, probably, if I had to guess, uh, January or February, something like that. Um, maybe you were just, I don't remember at all. Well, you were there too. <laughs> maybe I was there, but I don't remember being baptized at all. You wanted to be like Jeremy? You, yeah, 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 right, right. Hi guys, I'm Jeremy's doing it, I'll do it too. <laughs> it must be good. Yeah, yeah, it must be the thing to do. So when you were baptized, when you were going into college, so that was by immersion, you were immersed in water? Correct. Okay, okay. So then what about... Um, yeah, I actually got baptized three years ago. Three years ago, okay. Um, after a... So I got saved early on, 13 years old, and um, or earlier, uh, and just never went through with the public expression of baptism, so um, I decided to do that uh, about three years ago, and, and it was Bible water immersion as well. So that's an interesting expression, though. You both use the same expression. You got saved, and then sometime later you were baptized. Well, what does that signify? What is that? That's mean? just because at, uh, that's kind of, I guess, how the, our church did it, so, you know, right. we, we, I got saved, and then I talked to, talked to like, uh, I think his name was John Screws, Pastor Screws, something like that. Yeah, something um, like that. I don't know. It's been a long time. It's been like twelve years. Exactly. His name. But uh, talked to him, and then you know, just to make sure I understood every, you know, what I was right. doing, not just you know, blah blah blah, whatever. And then after, so that's why it took. Yeah, that's why I waited a little bit, not necessarily. Right, right. So what you're saying is that when you say, I got saved, that was just like the when you made the decision. Yeah, And nobody else knew, but you felt, did anybody else know? I mean, was there like a public declaration that you made a decision? But that's what just in your mind, you felt like I was saved when I made the decision. When I, Mm -hmm. most of the examples in the Bible, it's like, Making the decision and being baptized closely. Right, yeah. You know, it's like, okay, you decide to get baptized, boom. The place we were at, you know, when we were doing that, didn't really have any place to to get baptized. Right. (laughs) When you say, I got saved, I know it's an expression, Mm -hmm. but it's like it makes someone think the moment of salvation because you're being saved, like we're all in the process of being saved. I made the decision to you follow You made the Jesus. decision, yeah, <laughs> because we're all in the process of being saved, and then what do we need to do? What's the condition that Jesus places on our salvation? Don't give up. Continue. Right, we need to stand firm to the end to be saved. Someone who gets baptized and then does not stand firm to the end, wanders away and doesn't pay any attention 
to the Bible after so many years, it doesn't attend worship, do anything, and then they say, well, yeah, but I got baptized, I'm saved. Oh, no, no, I got saved. That's why the expression, I'm, I'm not so comfortable with the expression, and it's not used that way in the Bible. There's no place where someone says, what day were you saved, or when were you saved, or there was a moment where it says we're in the process of, we are being saved. Sanctified. Being sanctified, right? So how right? would you say that? Like, when you accept, just, I accepted Christ as my personal Savior? I always, yes, because there are some churches that believe that baptism isn't necessary. So they just say, well, all you have to do is accept Christ as your personal Savior, and you will be saved. And true, the important thing is what? To believe. So the important thing is to believe and then follow God's instructions. The emphasis shouldn't be on baptism. But as far as the way these experiences we see in Acts and the New Testament is people see their walk beginning with baptism. And even though there are some churches who are like that to say, well, we hold our baptisms every six months or whatever, whatever they do. You know, if somebody has to be baptized, then that day or not long after, you just baptize. That's pretty much what happened in the Bible. Somebody said, hey, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Does that make sense? Because there are some people who teach, well, all you have to do is accept Jesus. You don't have to be baptized. So that's why I tend to not say that. Go ahead. I'll well, agree with that. That like statement, but remember, I do think that you should be baptized because it says to. Right, exactly, because and it says to. Like the first yeah, command, I mean, like Yeah, it's like after. you, yeah. yeah. But then also, I mean, baptism, I don't believe that it affects salvation. Other than the fact that it's obedience. Yeah. Right, correct. Right. I mean, think about, like, like, the thief in the cross, and Jesus says, like, you know, like, you will be with me in paradise, you know, like... He was there. Yeah, I've heard people make that argument, but is that argument related at all to baptism? Was his situation was unique, probably. Yeah, his situation was somewhat right, unique. Right, but I'm not saying that everyone it's, should like claim to that. Be like, well, you don't have to be because you know, like, look at the thief on the cross. But I'm saying that we should want to. Uh, yeah, we should, right, exactly. To. That you should, and if you're able, yes, do it. You know, like this is what God commands of you, but. Um, it's not necessary. Meaning if you get saved on your deathbed. Correct. You don't have time to get baptized. Correct. You think that that person's still saved. What? Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. That's not exactly what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there's some efficacy itself in baptism. For, for like, example of... It's interesting because the Apostle Paul said, well, I didn't come to baptize. What did he say in 1 Corinthians when they were talking about the people making divisions over who baptized who? And then he's like, I didn't come to baptize. The emphasis isn't on baptism. Baptism mm -hmm. isn't the thing. But baptism is an important part of the instruction. Let's see. So if I was able to say, well, I don't think that baptism, what was the way you put it? Um, that... Yes, as new believers found in Christ that we should desire to be baptized, but that um, our salvation does not, I guess, hinge on baptism. But I believe that, yes, the baptism um, and salvation, like in, in a sense, go hand in hand. Right. Like for instance, like the thief on the cross, you know, there wasn't an opportunity for him to be baptized. So 
with that would like Jesus denied but him. But would he have had to have been baptized back then? Was the church in existence when the thief was on the cross? Jesus was baptized. <laughs> Jesus was baptized why though? To get the Holy Spirit as he Or I guess to show people to just so people around him. What does the Bible say why Jesus got baptized? When John the Baptist says to him, wait a second, you want me to baptize you? You should be baptizing me. What are you talking about? What did Jesus say? It's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Okay. That's why he was baptized. What does that mean? Well, what is connected with righteousness? Remember Genesis 15, verse 6? Abraham blanked God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed how do we know that Abraham believed God, besides the fact that that verse is there? Because his life showed it. Because he did what God told him to do. God told him to move. So God told Jesus to be baptized. So he did it to fulfill righteousness. Did Jesus need to be baptized? Did he have any sins that needed to be forgiven? No. No. He didn't need to be saved the same way we need to be saved. But he still did it because he was instructed to do it. And so that if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we're going to follow his example. So he was baptized. That points to the necessity of it. But look at Romans chapter 6. This is interesting because Romans 6 isn't even about baptism, but it's often used because it mentions baptism, but it's almost like incidental the way the Apostle Paul brings baptism in. But he says, just we'll start at verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Notice that phrase, in order that. We were buried with him in baptism in order that we'll be raised. So in other words, it was necessary. He's here saying it was necessary for us to be baptized. That's what he's saying. Now, is that talking about physical baptism or spiritual baptism, though? That was my question. Okay, so give me an example of a spiritual baptism that is for all I the believers. I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, there's a moment or something when the, the Spirit descends upon you, you know, comes into you. Uh, you know, like the all the disciples in that upper room, you know, when when the Spirit came on them and then they were speaking tongues and things like that, doing other miracles. So in I, think, I think that would be a, an obvious example of a baptism of the Spirit where, without a baptism of you know, water. But here's a question then. How many times, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how many times do we see that happening in the Bible? That kind of a thing? Not too often. Right, it just happens but, twice. So when we're baptized, what are we baptized with? Are we baptized with water or are we baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit when we're baptized in water? I don't think necessarily that they're hand in hand. 
Right, exactly. They're not. We're baptized in water. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was something that happened on the day of Pentecost and then happened Cornelius' household. Those are the two incidences of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that was a special outpouring of the Spirit to indicate something. But when we're baptized, we're baptized with water. Now here's a question, because you sort of mentioned, well, it's necessary because we're supposed to be obedient. So like, if someone says to you, okay, I don't want to be baptized, I don't like this idea of immersing myself in water. You know, I never immerse myself in water, never take a bath, never do anything like that. You know, so it's not going to happen. Then you would say to that person, well, you know, that's what you need to do. Wouldn't you argue with the person who did not wish to be baptized? You would say to them, no, you need to be baptized, correct? Or would you not argue with them? Yeah, I would ask them what I mean, their reasoning was. and, and I, think, I think we should in any commandment that we have if we see somebody not, right. not anymore. I think there's a difference others. in not getting baptized and then choosing not to get baptized. We can never say who's saved and who's not saved. Correct. Because God reserves that for himself. So, you know how like people say, well, you're going to hell. Well, we can't say to anybody, you're going to hell. By the same token, we can't say to somebody, well, I'm certain that person is going to heaven. We don't know. God reserves that for himself. We should not interfere with his authority. And we shouldn't give anybody the confidence to say, well, Jeremy said I'm going to heaven, so I don't need to do anything else. We're preaching to somebody who's sick, and they're on their deathbed, and you're preaching to them. And they seem to understand and they agree, but th then they drop dead. <laughs> That's the last thing they do, they say. You've done all that you can do. You can't They've say. Done all they can do. They've done all they can do. So it's up to God. Will there be people who in, in heaven who haven't been baptized? I don't know, but I think so. Yeah. What if a child dies? What if when you were in fifth grade, you didn't get baptized and were looking the wrong way and you got out of school and you got run over by a bus. What happens to the child that gets run over by a bus? I think they still go to heaven. Yeah, they if, if they're not... understand. Exactly. Right. But that's for God to decide. So what do we have to do? We have to just follow his instructions. I get what you're saying. He's being rhetorical when he says... We've been buried with him in baptism in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What he's actually saying there is we needed to be baptized. We needed to be buried with him by water baptism in order to be raised up to walk in newness of life. What is that, um, what's his name, uh, say to the Apostle Paul when he goes and he... And where is that that he says that? Why do you wait? Where is that? Is that in Acts chapter 20? I'm trying to remember. Uh, let's see. Who can find it quicker? Acts 22. Acts 16. Yeah. 22, 16. Okay, so you win. Now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. There you go. You see, arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on his name. There seems to be some efficacy attached to baptism. Now, I agree with you that the key thing is the obedience. Because the water itself doesn't have any chemical efficacy or whatever. But we should be very, very careful not to say anything that gives anybody the license not to be baptized. 
It's necessary because we're told to do it. It's important because the Bible places importance on it. He didn't say to the Apostle Paul, why do you wait? Why don't you arise and confess Jesus and uh, your sins will be forgiven? No, he says arise, be baptized. So being baptized is always in there. So even though we know that dunking yourself in water, it's not like if you have a headache and you take an aspirin, and the aspirin is an anti-inflammatory, so that's what you're the registered mm -hmm. nurse, right? You take some ibuprofen, it's an anti-inflammatory, it's going to cause your pain to be relieved if that's what's causing your pain. So there's an efficacy to the aspirin. It has an effect on your body that causes the headache to go away. Immersing yourself in water is no effect really outside right. of getting you wet. So there really isn't any actual physical efficacy, but we're talking about a spiritual thing. If the instruction that we see in the Word of God says it's necessary for you to be baptized, we really shouldn't say anything different. We really shouldn't say, it really doesn't do anything. Well, it says it does something. So what I hearken back to, I always see the beginning of my walk as a believer as when I was baptized. That's the marker that I put in there. When I came out of the water, I didn't think any different than before I went into the water, and there was still work that needed to be done on me, even right after I got baptized. Mm -hmm. What happened to Simon the sorcerer? Right? He was baptized, but he still <laughs> did it. He said a terrible thing. Right? He had a terrible thought. He said a terrible thing right after that, and Peter said, you got nothing to do with us. He's someone who had been baptized. Seems he was sincere. How do we know he was sincere? Right, his response, when Peter chastised him, he didn't say, well, who are you to be telling me anything? He said, oh, pray to God that these things don't happen to me. So anyway, any questions, comments, or concerns, or thoughts? Matthew 3.11? Sure. So this is John, Jesus going to John, or John, I guess John talking about Jesus. But he says, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, I do think there is a difference between a baptism of spirit and a baptism of water. Yes. I, I think... you yeah, sure. But what do we see as the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I, I don't think it just portends to those two instances that you're talking about of great miraculous things happening afterwards. Because, for one, I do think things like that can still happen today, even though we don't see it nearly as often. I do think they're possible for Christians. And two, he's not just talking about... I don't think... John here is talking just about, you know, those two instances either. He seems to be talking about what Jesus will do to your life in general. Not just, you know, the ones who did miraculous things, but to anyone who believes in him. Anyone who, who takes up his calling. I'll tell you the thoughts I have that agree and the thoughts that disagree. Do you guys have any thoughts though before I Go ahead. start yakking away? Because I thought that too. It's, well, you're being baptized in water. But what are you really wanting to be immersed in? The Holy Spirit. So we're immersed in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? To be baptized, to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? 
What is the spirit connected with? The father and the son. Mind. Mind. He gave, he's talked to me before. The father, the son, and the spirit are one. That's true. Who can be one with them also? Us. Believers. Us. Believers. Right. But you're right to say father, son, and spirit. But really, when we're being immersed in the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit is connected to the Father and the Son and that they're all one. But when we want to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, what is, and Jeremy gave the answer I was looking for, what does that mean? We're immersed in the thinking. What was the main task of the Holy Spirit to the apostles? What did Jesus promise the Holy Spirit would do for them? So we need a helper. And to guide them into all understanding. So that was to the apostles, to guide them into the all understanding. The apostles did that, and what did the apostles and uh, the disciples at that time leave behind was the work of the Holy Spirit that was left for us, the Bible. And these are words that describe a pattern of thought, a pattern of thinking. Okay, so going back to your thing, being immersed in the Holy Spirit is being immersed into this thinking, this reasoning, being united in the same mind and judgment. We need to be immersed in this. Absolutely true. But specifically, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happened on the day of Pentecost was for what purpose? So you got three choices of answers. There are three things that were done at that point. People to be in unity? Yes, that's part of it. What could we say characterized the behavior of the apostles before the day of Pentecost? Afraid. They were afraid. Did they understand exactly what was going on? Mm-hmm. No. No, they didn't have a clue. And even we see in, uh, in Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus is ascended to heaven, they're still asking him, are you going to restore the kingdom? Still looking for this political, for him to overthrow the Romans. So they didn't get it. And he says, no, 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 just wait here in Jerusalem for what I promised you back in the 14th chapter of John, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was to come on them miraculously. And there was this outpouring, this, this outpouring that no one could argue with, although some people did, right? But there was this physical outpouring of what was going on. Why? This is God pointing to them. You see these 12 guys here? Listen to what they're saying. They had these tongues as a fire. They start talking in languages that they didn't study that the other people from various places were able to understand. This is a miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was for a specific purpose, to say, listen to them. And this was the beginning of the church. So what happened? These people that believed were baptized. Once again, the importance of baptism. 3,000 of them were baptized, and they then followed in the apostles' teachings. That was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, they're going along, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, chapter 6 and 7, and they're baptizing various people. There's no mention of those being a baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're just being baptized with water. Then in Acts chapter 10, what happens? Peter is in the home of Cornelius. What was notable about Cornelius? Was he Jewish? No, he was a Gentile. Because who were they basically preaching to and baptizing initially. On the day of Pentecost, those 3,000 that got baptized, what were they primarily? 
Jews. Yeah. The church was pretty much Jewish. They weren't even thinking that they were going to take it to the Gentiles because what happened, uh, the vision that Peter got that sent him to the house of Cornelius, that had to happen three times before Peter actually went. He would not have gone. If someone had come to him and said, hey, come to the home of this Gentile fellow, Peter would have said, no, 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 I don't go into Gentile houses. Even though that's not part of God's instruction, that's part of the human tradition that the Jews have overlaid over it. So he wouldn't have even have gone. But then a similar thing happens, though, when Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius' household, then there's this miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they started speaking in tongues. And Peter says, they started speaking in tongues just like we did back on the day of Pentecost. He doesn't say, and then there was this baptism of the Holy Spirit that's been happening every single time we baptize somebody. So he's pointing back to that time. So those are the two instances where, specifically, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit being spoken of. That's the way the Bible speaks of it. I do agree that our desire should be to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Bible is very specific about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This second discussion took a very different course than last week's discussion because of the very different background and culture between the two sets of individuals. We moved into a very specific discussion of baptism that covered some well-worn ground. Perhaps it would be productive to reframe the discussion a bit. We could look at two aspects of the instruction to be baptized that we find in the New Testament. One way to look at it is just as a command. We have been instructed in God's word to be baptized. End of story. Now some believers find it necessary to immediately follow up with, but only if possible, and then cite the very rare example of one being too ill to immerse in water. Why has this become such an integral part of their teaching? This qualifier never appears in the Bible, so adding it is going beyond what's written. God will judge in the end, and putting such an emphasis on not being baptized puts us in the place of making God's judgment for him. This argument is a vestige of past arguments which were focused on indicating that baptism is not necessary contradicting the clear and simple instruction we find in God's Word. That need to single out baptism and say it is not necessary for salvation does not come from Scripture, but from man. I don't see where we're given the authority to say to anyone, you don't need to be baptized. I don't see where we're ever given the authority to comment on the necessity of following any of God's instructions. We make judgments on how we carry them out, not if we carry them out. Our salvation hinges on believing God and following His instructions. I'm sure in the judgment each of us will be found as having not carried out some instruction from God or having not completed the work of reforming our thinking and behavior. That is why God will judge 
if the effort that we have made is sufficient, if we have stood firm to the end with our commitment to believing God and following his instructions. The second aspect is considering the fact that Jesus was baptized. What conclusions can we draw from the baptism of Jesus? Jesus did not need to be baptized for himself, so why did the Father want Jesus baptized? Was it to be an example to us? Was it to underscore the importance of baptism? The answer to both of these questions is yes. So why do many believers say baptism is not necessary? Why would any believer think they could say any instruction from God is not necessary? Next week's episode will include another baptism-related discussion, so stay tuned. Special thanks to Jessica and Adam, and of course also Jeremy, for their contributions to this week's episode. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or even if you have any helpful suggestions, please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. That's all for now. Goodbye and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be Fine gold.